Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Inference Podcast. I'm your host, Michele, and today I have the pleasure to have here Ilya share. Hello, Ilya. How are you? Hello. Thanks. I'm fine. Uh, let's uh, maybe start with who I am. So yep. um, the, my official part, I'm uh, currently working at Bimi uh, as a CTO. And Bimi.io is a very small startup company. And um, that means that I'm doing uh, a bunch of uh, different things from managing to mentoring to hands-on DevOps or software engineering uh, with the usual suspects like AWS, Node.js, TypeScript, Java, Python, whatever. <laughs> whatever is needed to be done. Yeah. Okay, and I'd like to ask you, um, I've read some, some blog posts of you and seen some, uh, some nice talks that you gave at uh, some conferences, and I'd like to start asking you about one post that you wrote, which title is, uh, Why I Have No Favorite Programming Language. C could you explain this concept for you know, the public? Uh, yes, sure. So um, I guess it requires a bit of context, and... Um, uh, the context of that post, if that if you are doing DevOps, DevOpsy things, then basically you don't have a good programming language for that. Um, and well, people can say, well, but you have Bash and you have Python and Ruby and whatnot. Uh, and uh, well, that's not how I feel because you can imagine me at 2013 in front of a computer trying to to start to write in some script and that's in my head. Is it Bash or is it Python? Should, what should it be? And and this choice, this whole choice, felt wrong because not not Bash and not Python are not good alternatives for what I was trying to do. And um, if you want, I can go a bit into why this is not good or that is not yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, actually, um, for the purposes of our discussion today, let's say Python represents uh, general purpose languages uh, together with let's say uh, Ruby and Go for example. Okay. Uh, so let's start with the easy part. The easy part would be Bash, right? So Bash actually was uh, born in another era, another reality. And uh, if you look at Bash from today's perspective, it's insane. Um, I mean, I guess if you take the author of Bash and you know, and you tell him, you know, please write a shell, he wouldn't do the same, right? Because everything has changed. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and also, I, I, I can also think that some additions that Bash got during um, uh, its lifespan, uh, they point out to deficiencies and problems that it has. Uh, so let's just, you know, brief overview. The syntax is horrible. Error handling is very bad. Uh, and, you know, they try to patch it with a set-e, uh, which, you know, makes the script stop whenever there's an error. It's also very problematic. It behaves differently in different contexts. It's, it's a mess. The main problem for today is lack of st uh, structured data in Bash. Okay. So ba Bash has flat arrays. Bash had, uh, has uh, flat associative arrays, which is kind of dict in Python, but that's it. Okay. And okay, you described why you don't like Bash, but uh, at this point I may ask you, um, why just don't you use Python, Ruby, or Golang for writing uh, you know, uh, DevOps scripts? Concerning the state of Bash, it is quite a reasonable choice to use Python or Ruby, um, and or Go, less a bit maybe, depends on the task of course. Um, and these languages, they are still 
I kind of say not it and take for example Python and see how much effort uh, it is to run external program in Python compared to bash so so they, they kind of bash is good with files and processes and Python has data structures and data manipulation of some kind but it's not good very good with files or external processes and then people say yeah but with Python you have this sh library that makes it easier yes it makes it easier and it's still not it and it's a library and it will never be it because to be it it needs to be syntax uh, and if you're in the Python ecosystem as a Python programmer you don't actually run that much external processes it's it's not hurting you but if you are doing DevOps things you will be running a lot of external processes so uh, I think that general purpose languages the problem is that they are not focused on the DevOps things and okay. in, in, and lately I was thinking about this it's like if you take a file and you say on each uh, line in this file there is a number and you want to sum these numbers and you immediately know it's awk right because it's the b best solution that you can and you don't have alternatives good alternatives to awk and why is that because awk is focused it is focused on the intended use cases and you can of course you can do it in python of course you can do it in java but how much effort and why okay yeah. okay i got it uh, so it, it is clear for me uh, what is currently missing from uh, our shells and uh, I get why uh, using other programming languages is not an option most of the time and I, I do completely agree with you and so uh, let me introduce NGS so um, that's your project um, I would like you to introduce it, uh, it actually uh, so what can you tell about NGS and how can it solve the problems that we talked about I'll try to be concise in the beginning, okay. uh, just to make it clear what I mean. Um, if you look at the niche of modern programming languages for DevOps, it's like almost empty. And the JS is in there. And it's on one hand modern, which you cannot say about Bash. Okay. And on the other hand, it's for DevOps stuff, which you cannot say about any other language except for Bash. And, yeah, and of course, alternative shells, but that's different. So, and um, well, I can elaborate in many directions. Uh, let me know what, <laughs> what you would like to hear. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I want to uh, write a script for deploying an application to AWS or maybe to Azure or, you know, wherever. Um, how can actually NGS assist me in a way that doing the same task in shell script should uh, could be potentially a waste of time uh, because you know it, we should have to put too much effort into writing a precise program and also i feel like uh, one problem we have with the shell today is that we need to communicate via uh, api requests uh, which is awful uh, doing that in bash and as you said before, doing that in Python or Ruby um, can be problematic some way because they don't have focus on on the Unix shell. And how can NGS solve those problems? Okay, let's let's maybe start one by one. Yep. Uh, let's try to imagine a script um, to deploy some application. Okay. So I, I'm I'm trying to like go over like the thinking process how you start writing a script in NGS. So in NGS. Um, how the script looks okay it can be just a uh, top to bottom script and uh, that's how it works top to bottom 
but if you want, for example, some more advanced features, you define the function which is called main. Since uh, NGS is uh, geared towards small scripts, there's a feature which helps you to make small scripts and, uh, for example, by um, providing the command line arguments uh, to the main function. So you don't have to do argument parsing. So you already have this jump start. So instead of like Python's import this, import that from the start and defining the arguments, you just write main. And let's say you have, uh, I don't know, configuration file name as a command line argument to the script. Uh, that would be just main and then file name uh, colon str because it's a string and the NGS will handle this, this match between the command okay. line arguments and the function. Then, for example, um, you would say, okay, to install this application, let's say it's um, PHP application, just for the sake, okay. for the kicks of it, okay? And for a PHP application, you know that you need um, Apache installed, uh, which, uh, let's say, it's called, uh, the, the program would be called HTTPD, or Apache 2, depending on which operating system you are, uh, which Linux distro, let's say. Um, so, first of all, you have mm, a program uh, type in NGS. Uh, maybe I could show some code for that. So, okay, so um, first of all, the program type. What does it mean? That means that we are referring to external program. How does it help us? It does help us when we convert this to Boolean. Okay. Um, so, for example, ls, I have ls installed on my system. And let's say it's something else. Uh, well, I don't have it on my system. So, for example, our script would start with um, uh, Apache 2. Uh, and let's say something like if um, Apache 2, then blah, blah, blah. And uh, else um, exit... Um, no Apache installed. Uh, installed. Okay. Okay. Well, to run this, we need a valid syntax. Uh, so this will not uh, do it. Let's do, um, I don't know, 100. It doesn't matter, just a number. Yeah. No Apache installed. So he here you can also see some uh, attention to further details. For example, uh, we have exit here and the message. And most of the languages that I know, they would exit with uh, exit code zero. Yep. And I have noticed that I pretty much never have seen a script that exits in the middle and that's not an error. Okay. So, the, so the default here is one. You can provide other exit code if you want okay. to, the, to the function exit. Um, uh, start, okay, here. It's a string and uh, status. If you, do, okay. if you don't provide uh, status, it will use this definition, which is, uh, sorry, oh, sorry, if you don't provide the, the message, uh, it will use the first definition. If you do provide the message, it will use the second definition. Yeah, uh, so okay. that will be the exit code. Okay, so, um, it, and if you think about our script, what I actually want to do is I don't want to be that verbose, for example. So, um, Sorry for this uh, moving with arrows because in this terminal it's not straightforward what is happening with not errors. <laughs> no arrows. Okay, that's atypical. I would write assert. Okay, and that means that 
um, well, I want this program and if it's not here, I want uh, to exit with an error. So here's our error. Program Apache 2 not found and path. Okay, we also have the path here in the error message where it was actually looking for binaries and the exception type is program not found. So if, you, if you're like doing try catch, you can also catch this exception if you want. Oh, okay. By, by the way, the, the short message is uh, at the start of the message and in the end of the message, so you don't have like a chance to miss that. <laughs> okay, okay. And just one thing, I, I remember a talk that you gave that was called uh, Functional Programming for DevOps, where you talked specifically about function composition and you mentioned the uh, Unix pipes, which are an amazing invention. And I would like to see how you can actually write functional code for DevOps. If you have an example, if you want to, uh, you know, share something with the with the audience. Uh, actually, um, maybe we can just have some examples from standard library, which yeah. are just the definitions of like uh, what each map uh, first. I actually I most like uh, uh, the function which is called Z1. Uh, it's um, let, let, let's go to standard library and and find. Uh, okay, by the way, so on on our way to function Z1, uh, you can see that function definition is F capital F. Okay. And that that actually. Um, one of the principles in NGS that whatever is frequently used, that should be short. It gets very short syntax. Okay. What is less frequently used gets longer syntax. What is even less frequently used gets a function in standard library. Okay, okay. so let's look at the one. Okay, so the one we ha actually have two definitions of the one. Let's look at the simpler one for the sake of brevity. Yep. Okay. Uh, so here, the one. It takes, for example, an array, and you know that this array should have exactly one element. It's almost like you're asserting there is one element. Uh, so what is interesting here? So some time ago, this uh, function, the one, was taken here, instead of pattern, it was taking a predicate. And uh, that predicate would tell, um, oh, actually, we have examples here as tests, so that may be making it clear. So I, I know that there must be only one element. Okay, okay, that's it. That's clear. No, no, because there are several cases. If you don't provide anything to the one, it just uh, looks for uh, like anything in the array. Oh, so okay. it's ju just the uh, it will match anything in there because uh, the pattern is default to any. So it's like predicate which runs true to anything. Okay. So by the way, so this pattern is actually a kind of uh, superset. The pattern could be a predicate. Okay, so if you pass a function here, uh, like this one, by the way, this, ha this is how you can um, define very shortly a function. If you use capital X or Y or Z, it wraps the expression in the function, and this is this is anonymous function. Oh, X greater I get than it. 10, that's anonymous function. Yeah, okay. and actually, actually, you can um, see in the terminal, let's say X plus one. Um, it's a user-defined method, it's anonymous method. Uh, all anonymous methods uh, take three optional um, arguments. Okay. Uh, and I provide the documentation that's partial syntax, partial application syntax. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. That's really awesome. 
<laughs> thanks uh, so um, wherever uh, there's a, a pattern in use in NGS uh, that's actually a, a superset on 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 the uh, predicates it couldn't be a predicate or it could be some other form of a pattern so if something is matched against the pattern and that pattern is a function that function is run on the data and the returned value is used as a um, value which is okay for the predicate okay so uh, what other kinds of patterns we see here for example a type if you match uh, a data with a type well that's pretty much obvious what's supposed to happen right I, I'm looking for the integer here and also uh, the one will throw an error if uh, no such element is found or more than one element is found for example here we have two strings uh, but we said we only want one okay so and um, these patterns uh, we can find uh, many functions which take sorry uh, okay didn't copy which take patterns as um, parameters okay for example reject reject is like a filter but it's the, the uh, reverse of it it's like uh, throw away elements which match the pattern or predicate whatever um, okay so um, functional uh, what I actually find annoying in Python about functional is that uh, the basics of it is that Guido doesn't like uh, functional he doesn't okay. want map he doesn't like filter and so Python idiomatic Python has a list comprehension which is square brackets and uh, for example you'll have let's say x plus one for x in something yeah yeah um like x plus one for x in uh, i don't know yeah range. which is quite similar to the haskell version for this comprehension yes so um what i find annoying about that and i actually spoke to some other people and um, the readability of this is not very good that's because to actually happen what to actually understand what is happening here you need to read the whole expression as opposed to let's say uh, you would have map and at the point that you see map you know exactly what is happening you will have in the output exactly the same number of elements that you had in input so you understand that there is some mapping function which is one-to-one -one. and you don't have this in uh, list comprehension it could be uh, anything it because it has uh, I don't know if x is more than zero something like that and then you don't have the exact number of elements in the output so it's it's a big mess and yeah. um, if you just uh, nest two of these guys with another for that that's just 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 uh, mess so how we do that in JS mm, let's say the same thing we have zero to two which is a range let's see that it's a range um, it's okay. num numeric range of size two um, which has the elements um, zero and one that's that's already flattened so if you had like uh, five you would see all the elements here uh, but let's say we have this and then we want to map it and add one to each, each one of them and that's how it works okay you see here one and two as results okay. so I find uh, using map filter and reduce actually reduce is pretty rare but map and filter together they are they are much more comprehensible for me and uh, for other people that I spoke to 
Okay, yeah, that that is clear. Um, I would like to ask you a question on this point. Um, I've seen many uh, examples on the repository of NGS, and I can clearly see um, the influence of functional programming in your code examples, in the implementations, and I personally like it. Um, but I have a question. Uh, your personal, I, I would like to hear your personal opinion on the fact that maybe functional programming, it's a bit more, you know, difficult for DevOps people to get into because, you know, maybe we have people which are highly skilled in Python or in Groovy uh, because they are using Jenkins and writing Jenkins file all the day. And mm -hmm. eventually they will find themselves writing a kind of functional code. Um, do you think there's a way for writing more imperative code in uh, NGS? Of course there is. You can, uh, let's say, use four uh, if you like, uh, I don't recommend because it's uh, it's again it has the same problem as least comprehension because you see four, okay, what would be the pattern for uh, identifying a map uh, using using four instead of map? That's uh, some uh, a list which you initialize to empty list, and then you have four, and then you have uh, inside the four you have push uh, into the list. And you have to be careful that it's not inside if, for example, and then oh, yeah. you know, and then you know it's not a map. It it is a map. If it's an if, it's not a map. It's uh, probably filter. And I think that um, uh, actually the uh, functional counterparts are more readable. And I also yeah. approach um, the design of NGS from very practical perspective. So the functional programming that you see in NGS, it's actually um, not very deep functional. So for example, immutability is not enforced. Um, you don't have this uh, monads or, you know, this uh, things which can blow your mind. <laughs> I, okay. I, I don't have them. I actually went um, in, into the direction of simplicity as, as the situation allows. I can, for example, tell you that um, I stole something from Lisp specifically for common Lisp object system. Uh, the interesting part is that uh, I'm kind of avoiding another thing which uh, can blow my mind. NGS has types and has methods. It doesn't have classes. So a particular piece of code does not belong to a class. So for example, you have a, if you have like a chair and person, so the method sit is just a method and you don't need to break your head whether the, the sit method is on the person or on the chair, because it just is. There is a method that there is something that should supposed to happen. The method seat would take a chair and a person, and that's it. It's okay. not in any class. Um, and th that is, uh, for example, why uh, NGS is also easily exten extensible. Or extendable, how do you say? Extensible or extendable? Whatever. No, I think it's, yeah, <laughs> extendable, maybe. <laughs> extendable. So, for example, uh, reduce. And uh, you want a, a reduce on your type uh, to work somehow different from the regular reduce. Uh, so okay. you can, uh, somewhere later in the code, you can define your own type, T, for example. And T. And then you can say reduce. And let's say uh, T is kind of uh, some kind of collection. Okay. And you say T is of type T. Okay, uh, we have uh, start and f, which is a function. And uh, here, 
you can do your own implementation and that will just work uh, by, by the way, so what's interesting that I went uh, even further in the direction of the simplifying and a common Lisp object system would try to figure out which one of these guys should be called because some one of these types should be like more specific than the other and that's that's the correct method to call. Uh, NGS does something uh, different, uh, which is uh, I think was interesting experiment and I think it's working for now. I don't know if it will break in the future and the algorithm is stupidly simple it goes from the last one to the first one oh, and, okay. and wherever the parameters and the arguments match that's invoked that's it so if you are in terminal and you see for example how reduce is defined okay we have two implementations the one that i have here is not uh, is not uh, compiled in yet so we don't see it so okay. we, i have two implementations here and you from just from the looking at the order of them you know which one will be called so that's it okay so it's working the opposite of haskell yeah. or erlang where you or can, anything can define... else yeah yeah exactly it's working the, the opposite but i can get why you did that so you you write your last implementation last and then um okay you have to read from bottom to top and that's interesting and also solves um you know uh, what we saw about um customizing some aspects of the language can i see that as beneficial for people you know coming from other languages and wanting to bring their own uh features the features they love from other languages standard libraries and they can do that and they can also rely on the ngs standard library actually which is kind of powerful this 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 is yes, really interesting it definitely is <laughs> uh so the standard library why is it powerful? Because it's kind of focused on what you're actually doing uh, day in, day out. So, for example, I have like seen like, I don't know, maybe thousands of scripts which uh, start with uh, defining a debug function. Okay. No, not anymore. Just use debug. It's a built-in X, Y, Z. Okay. So, here we see that it did nothing. Why it did nothing? Because the debug environment variable is not set. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, that was... Um, supposed to be a star for this to work okay, okay. by the way it, it also la launched a, a bunch of other debug but we also have our own uh, XYZ which I uh, have a typo in it's actually HYZ but we have it here so we have uh, you have a process ID here uh, you have a thread name here because okay. threads are supported so you may have different threads uh, and default is actually the section of the debug. So debug, uh, well, of course, it has something more fine-grained. So to write a message in section talk, okay, so now it says talk, but it's not only here, you can only uh, allow section talk and see the specific debug oh, without okay. anything else. Yeah, yeah I got it. I, I actually yeah. stole it from uh, Node.js. They have a module, I think it's just called debug. Uh, I yeah. think it's just nice and it's very appropriate to be in the language and not a module because it's frequently used. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, this is uh, this is something that pisses me off sometimes. You know, when people say, "Yeah, but there's a library for that in Python." So, guys, a library in Python will never be as good as something which is built into the language. So, for example, <laughs> yeah. For example, I'm just in the middle of implementing patterns, so 
uh, while Python 3.10, I don't know if it's out already or not, but previously I had a discussion with a friend that he says, yes, there's a library which, uh, which does pattern matching in, uh, in Python. And I, and I looked at the library and it was actually a good library. And I will be stealing some stuff from there. But what you don't get, okay, look how many functions in NGS take patterns as parameters. These are built-in functions. You just cannot have it with the library. It's because the integration into the language is very important and you just, it's not possible if you do a library. Okay, so we have uh, what matching, any, by the way, typ typical functional stuff. If okay. you check, if you check like if any, if any of the elements in an array matches a specific pattern or a predicate for that matter. Yeah, so these guys all take patterns. Well, imagine this in Python. H how? Uh, there's, I don't think there's any straightforward way to override, you know, the the, uh, the functions in Python. And by the way, the, the other thing is, okay, that's a good library, but how actually many people are using it? And if you get to a project, uh, what is the chance that the libraries that you are accustomed to using for pattern matching is actually used in a new project, which might be using different library. So I think that's why this is important to, to have all the frequently used stuff in the standard library. So there will be no such uh, things as, okay, I want, I like this or I like that. By the way, very good example. Uh, Perla are now working on, um, I have a friend, um, which is working on exactly that. Okay. Perl, Perl are having trouble with object-oriented aspect. That's because uh, it is not uh, uh, built into the language. The language has uh, something very basic, which is called bless. This is so low level that uh, there are, I don't know, 20, 30, maybe 40 libraries which implement object orientation for Perl. And guess okay. what? They have a problem. <laughs> you learn one and then you get to the next project and, well, there's another one. Uh, yeah. So I don't okay. want that. I, I hope I answered. Okay, yeah, absolutely. No, that's clear. That's clear. Okay, um, I would like to move on and I would like to, to ask you a couple of questions. How do you think that NGS could be um, beneficial for beginners into DevOps? Do you think that it's a programming language that can really help beginners or is targeting more advanced users? How, how do you see that? On one hand, I uh, didn't uh, do anything uh, to specifically target beginners. On the other hand, I think that the properties of the language are um, kind of beginner friendly uh, just by the nature of the things. For example, the object system is simple. Um, things are typically straightforward. Um, I don't have... Um, uh, for example, a function which has uh, three aliases, like in Ruby. Uh, okay. I think they, they have, what they have, like filter, keep, and something else, which are all aliases for the same thing. So I think it actually impedes learning because on some code you will see this and another code you see that. Oh, and you will yeah, be wondering, is it. is it the same one? So this, I don't have like overlapping. And another thing that uh, is in the language is um, there is kind of... Uh, I, I'm thinking about as, as a metrics of, on one hand, you have types and another one is uh, methods. There are not supposed to be very many methods. You can probably guess a method name for the thing that you want to do. Okay, and, that's great. And, and if there's any, anything remotely sane, 
that is on the intersection of the type and the method, it will be an NGS. And if it's not, it's a bug. So if oh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so it, it I'm trying trying to feel to feel the metrics uh, at at any place where it makes any sense. Uh, so for example, uh, the operator plus mm, it adds numbers, adds strings, uh, arrays, and it adds functions, and that's actually function composition. It's okay. it's just a plus. Um, yep. Uh, so I think that makes uh, somewhat easier. Mm, well, compared to Bash, it has like uh, well, I I I I'm, I'm thinking that comparing to Bash is not even fair to Bash because it's it's like from so many years ago and you know it had one of the problems in Bash, by the way, is that they cannot fix anything because the amount of code out there is enormous. They cannot oh, move yeah. left or right. They need to keep the uh, compatibility. They can't do anything yeah they, they just can add something new which will have to have very obscure syntax otherwise it will be uh, like um, colliding with something else yeah so another thing which I uh, I actually um, tried to do and I think it's working for now is to have very small amount of uh, big concepts in the language so okay. what are what are the big concepts uh, type uh, object method, uh, exception. And there are actually very few big concepts in the language, and that's intentional. Um, I, I think that there should be less concepts and they should uh, integrate well. Uh, and if you are talking about functional, that's composability, so that the, you know, <laughs> you can could combine anything. Yeah, yeah, we, we can just, you know, uh, remind of using pipes in uh, Unix. So if you go like, uh, if config, I, I don't know, I don't want to tell code that, uh, you know, by mind, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, with, with Unix, we can use function composition by just using pipes. If we turn the arguments of function compositions the other way around, um, and we use the dot syntax provided by Haskell or you know mathematics. We we, we still get function composition actually. Yes, yeah. So you can do something uh, like that in NGS uh, with a plus method. Okay. Um, by the way, this is I stole from Python. I, this aspect of Python I do like very much. That any like plus minus whatever. That's just just a method call underneath. So in Python they kind of. Um, I don't know if it's actually screw up, but what they have is that if you call plus method, it calls underscore underscore add underscore underscore method on the object. In NGS, that would be a function which is called plus. So you don't need to guess how the function the, the, the function name is derived from the operator, which is not very straightforward. Okay. But on the other way, what they have in Python keeps the syntax a bit cleaner, so they have actual like words as a name so i don't know whether anybody except for me considers this a fuck up uh, i think it's not straightforward to have to write plus here and actually have add method called over here it doesn't make sense for me so back to beginners um yeah so that, that the main thing is small number of big concepts uh, and i have uh, of course tutorial which uh, like by example you know, shows you some basic stuff about the language. I don't think it should be particularly hard. Of course, people which are familiar with um, other programming languages will have advantage. I 
don't think that I would recommend NGS as a first language. I don't oh, think okay. it makes sense. Uh, but I don't think that there's actually anything in particular which impedes this uh, trial, maybe. <laughs> okay, so um, what would you suggest for people before getting into NGS? I mean, Bash, Python, or other languages? Uh, specifically, Bash and Python would be like good advantage if okay. you uh, go into NGS. Um, Bash, for example, um, because NGS actually implements subset of Bash syntax, and it's used for running external uh, processes and programs. Oh, okay. um, so uh, you have the backtick, um, like in Bash, so it returns uh, the output of the program as a string. Uh, so let me expand a bit of uh, on the topic of execution of external programs because I think this aspect is something which is frequently used and NGS yep. has uh, very particular features around that. So what do you have? You have the backticks, uh, which uh, return you the uh, output of the program as a string. You have uh, dollar and parentheses, which uh, return you the process object. Okay. Um, well, typical. Okay, and and there are um, two ways which you can have this object. Uh, if the process finished, uh, it will be a finished process. So you'll have .std out and .std error for the output and error. Uh, on the other hand, if inside dollar and parentheses you write the program name and you do the ampersand in the end. Uh, the execution that's inside the program will continue, but the object will uh, reference a program which is still running. So you can do dot kill on it or dot wait on it, depends on what you need, or send a signal or whatever. Uh, so that's a second uh, way of running external processes. And the third way is the one that I uh, like the most, and I think it's the most powerful and very frequently used feature, is double backtick. So double oh, backtick, okay. uh, well, the backtick references to, you know, running external programs. Why double? Because it's better. It's doing more. <laughs> so what what it does, it, it runs the external process and it parses the output uh, into data structures. So if you say you have like um, backtick, backtick, curl, uh, I don't know, what is my IP, .com or whatever that is, it returns JSON. So the expression backtick, backtick, uh, it returned the data structure, so you can do dot uh, I don't know dot country or whatever dot cc whatever oh, they have. Okay, that's a, so sorry. You you have implemented a parser, a JSON XML. Uh, do, do you accept JSON only or also XML, HTML? Okay. So uh, right now, JSON is the only supported uh, okay. one. Actually, I support also uh, if you do find. I also support parsing, you know, the output of find, which is lines. Uh, yeah. But what is important here is uh, that, that there is a function decode, uh, which has implementation for JSON, and uh, you just add your own implementation of decode, and you do whatever oh, yeah. you like. So oh, if yeah, you awesome. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's what will happen. Uh, I probably will add YAML sometime later, but uh, right now it doesn't feel very urgent or uh, very important. Uh, so, for example, if you have your own like uh, Snowflake program, your custom program, you can do parsing for it and just you know, include your library and backtick backtick will do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
this is really interesting. Um, uh, one thing that you know came into my mind is you've made an enormous job. Uh, that's incredible. That's an awesome job, and I wonder how much effort you put into that. And I would like to ask you. I've seen the code base, and you wrote that using plain C. Is that correct? That is correct, but it's not the first implementation. So okay. and and and. Um, at the time, I had uh, very good reasoning, and it's mostly true up until today. So, what? I, I um, that's my cat. <laughs> okay, let let me show you my cat before uh, he wants out. So before <laughs> okay. he's out, here he is. He wants out. Okay, he he, he will get out. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, uh, sorry about that. Uh, no so, so the first implementation, which I knew it would be a uh, throwaway, that was in JavaScript because I was very familiar with JavaScript and it didn't actually matter that much. I wanted to get some feeling about how this thing would be. Uh, what was interesting in that implementation actually is that um, uh, how far you can get without actually having a scheduler. <laughs> so whatever was blocked, it was just passed to the end of the queue and you know, it was taken the, from the top of the queue and it, it, it just worked <laughs> for many cases. So, and uh, predictably, I threw that away because it was the plan. And um, Lisp was always interesting for me. So I figured that's good opportunity. So, uh, and the Lisp specification actually doesn't say whether it's uh, interpreted or compiled. So you have both. You have both and... Uh, uh, by the properties of Lisp, what you have is whatever is compiling also have to uh, to keep the compiler available at runtime. And I thought, well, that's neat. You know, you I will have NGS, I will compile it to Lisp at runtime, and uh, Lisp compiler will compile it to machine code at runtime, oh, and yeah. that will run. And as the idea was fine, as an idea, <laughs> I actually hit a couple of walls in there. Um, I actually don't remember, uh, so one of them was, um, one of them I do remember, to provide meaningful backtrace, you need to keep of where are you in the location in the source file. And that was eating uh, roughly half of the CPU. Oh. And I, I, I just couldn't figure, oh, yeah, I now remember the second, and I just couldn't figure out how to, how to do it. It was just very difficult for me and I couldn't figure out. So another thing uh, that I figured, I took SBCL, which is uh, supposed to be like kind of the top pop, the best <laughs> Lisp compiler. Okay. And what I, what I noticed is that even for a very small expression in Lisp, I would have noticeable delay while it is compiling. And that's completely unacceptable for a shell. So okay. at, the, at that point, I have decided that... Uh, even if I solve this somehow, by, by digging, doing whatever, I can hit search wall later and it will be very painful. So I took a look, Bash, Python, Ruby, they're all C. And at the time I was thinking, okay, first I know that I will never be stuck in C. That's for sure. There will be a solution. It might be ugly, whatever, there will be a solution. And I was also thinking that I would be... Uh, kind of copy-pasting some code from uh, Python or Ruby. Actually, that that is not true. That like that did not happen. I did take a look, of course, but there was not, not much that I could actually uh, steal from that. 
it's just very different and uh, uh, my language is much less optimized and much uh, smaller and it's it's a bit different uh, so not much copy paste over there so yeah it is in C but the C part is actually uh, relatively small and I, I intentionally keep it small uh, I think most of the language is by now in NGS itself in the form of standard library so C exposes low-level functionality into the language. Uh, standard library typically will have a layer above that to make it uh, palatable, I would say, okay. because you know this uh, C interface where you have uh, uh, a code which is returned zero non-zero code and then error numbers that you need to check. This is not human-friendly interface. So okay. I wrap it around. I uh, do exceptions when needed and stuff like that. So it's actually nice to work with. Um, ergonomic, I would say. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so I hope that answers the C question. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I was shocked because, you know, um, I, um, I don't code C so much. And when someone codes an entire programming language in C, I, I'm like, wow, yeah, <laughs> that must be difficult. Well, <laughs> well actually here I, uh, um, I kind of cheated. For example, I'm using a garbage collector, which is a library. So I also was surprised to see that there is a garbage collector, a runtime garbage collection library for C. And I just yeah, used it. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. I, I also didn't know that uh, until I needed it. <laughs> so okay. there is such a library. I think it's also used in some other major projects. So I figured that at this point in time, it probably was roughly the same amount of effort that went into the language and that went into that library, but that was done, done by some other people. Because I looked into that library, oh my god. So, because when you're doing a garbage collection, you need to find the roots, right? Yep. So, these roots are sneaky. They can be on the call stack, they can be in the registers. That's a ton of work at, yeah. to do it right. So, uh, that, that, so I cheated here. And another one is uh, I'm using um, PEG uh, grammar parsing library. Okay. I did some tweaks, but actually the uh, syntax parsing. Well, initially I started. Uh, let's go back in time a bit. Initially I started with uh, you know this um, lex and parse thing, the standard stuff, yep. lex and yak or whatever they called. And I noticed pretty quickly that it is horrible shit. Uh, it, it it was so inconvenient. <laughs> And I think Ruby does that, and they did some tweaks around that, and I thought, yeah, I'll do the same, and it will be... No, it was not fine. It is not okay. So, uh, I okay. mean, it was maybe fine for the time that it was invented. It's not okay now. So, uh, right now, we have a peg, uh, which is a parsing expression grammar. That's a library. You define the syntax in whatever syntax they need, and it outputs C parser for it. And oh, okay. And uh, what uh, I find somewhat funny is that Python recently switched to use PEG also. <laughs> okay. Or some, some form of it too. So I guess they experienced the same pain. I guess uh, so. Yeah. yeah, so and they also switched. So the, this is so the garbage collection and PEG parser, they, they took quite a bit of effort off me. Uh, so and and also the, the the thing that I keep the C part relatively small, it also helps me because most of the code is in GS and that is much more productive than programming in C. Yeah. So for example, you okay. have seen this uh, uh, functional stuff, 
no, that, that's just whatever can be done in NGS that that's in NGS. It just goes out of C into NGS. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got it. That's really really interesting. Um, okay, I would like to go into the conclusion for this episode and. I would sure. like to ask you if you have a vision for the future of NGS, if you have some features that you'd like to implement, if there's something missing, and in general, if it is actually production ready or you're already using it in production or when people can start using it in production. Okay, so let's uh, do one by one. Okay, so yeah. first, what, what is missing? Okay, uh, let's um, address the elephant in the room. Okay. Uh, it's called next generation shell when the shell is not there yet. So the interactive <laughs> okay. part is not there. Uh, it's currently just a programming language. So and that has a, that has a reason. And uh, the reason is my thinking about the user. Imagine sometime in the future when there is a shell and there is a user and the user are getting proficient with the shell and with the language. And now they want to modify something in the language, which is kind of like just a bit deeper in the language. And now they need to learn mm, Go or Rust or whatever, okay. because the shell, the, the interactive part is written in this language and doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why I think that the uh, command line interface should be written in NGS itself. So that, that's why it takes so long to make it, because I was actually creating the language. And I also was kind of a bit distracted uh, by the use cases that I had, which were mostly scripting. So I was adding feature mm, to NGS, which would uh, help me in my work uh, and not focus on the interactive part. But I will be getting into the interactive part. Um, so that's one. So, and a smaller thing, which I think is missing is um, well, there are two things. <laughs> okay, so first, the pattern matching is uh, not as complete as I would like it to be. Okay. Uh, there should be more of it. And by the way, so I, I'm working on JS since 2013, and I was thinking about how the language should be, and the only thing that I am sure by now is that pattern matching is the right thing to do in, in the programming language. All the rest I have doubts about if anything is correct or incorrect. And wh why why pattern matching is the right thing to do? Because it's very one-to-one um, -one with what you would think in your mind about the data structure. And okay, data yeah. structures are actually notoriously easier to think about than algorithms. So pattern matching is much easier on your brain. And I noticed that and I see it in other languages and it actually helps. By the way, Python, I think, what, 3.10, actually introducing pattern matching. Yep. and and of course, like like any language or any feature which I look at and I think, mm, no, that's not how I would like it to be. So for example, in okay. Python, that's, um, that's implemented as a syntax. So the patterns can be in particular place in a syntax. I think they call it match or case or whatever. They only must be there. That means that the pattern itself is not actually a real data structure which you can work with, so you cannot compose it. And uh, for example, I was thinking like, okay, let's say now I have JSON schema and I want to translate it to, into pattern in an NGS pattern. Well, I, I can potentially do it in NGS and I cannot do it potentially in Python because that's not a the pattern itself is not a data structure, it's, it's a code. Yeah. Uh, so 
Um, that's not it. I do understand why they do it because it's it's actually it covers many common use cases and it should be okay for for most people and most use cases. That's understandable, but that's not how I want it. That's not how I see it. Uh, maybe I'll do a superset on that. It will be a data okay. structure, but it could also maybe capture variables, something like that. So this and another thing which hit me very lately, uh, which is also related to um, what I had at work, uh, and that's actually deeply nested data structures. So I actually don't have uh, anything anything particular in the language which should facilitate uh, working with deep data structure. So for example, search like uh, like a bit of like XSLT or something like that, which digs deeply and you can extract data or maybe transform data and you define at which path it is or like how to find the data that you want to reference. So I started working on that. And right after that, I plan again to back, get back to the UI. Okay, okay, okay. If you have like three words for describing the UI, and then we will go into the conclusion for the episode. Oh, sorry, UI cannot be described in three words. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Take your time, no problem. <laughs> okay, I, I think it's actually very important. Maybe you can yeah. cut something else from the episode. Um, so, UI is actually amazing to me how this have not changed in decades that you type a command into the command line and then you can you just get a dumpster of text on your screen these are not objects this is not anything this is a dumpster of a text which could be from standard output standard error or sometimes from different processes it's just a garbage on your screen so okay uh yeah it depends how lucky you were with the ampersand redirection yeah so uh, and that kind of completely ignores decade, decades of uh, user experience research. Okay, let's say I did describe instances. I have this list on my screen. Now I want to do something with this instance. Why can I can click on that and do something and have pop-up menu like you have on any page in the browser? You know, in the browser, all the objects on the screen, are, I, they are actionable. They, they, you can click them, you can interact with them, but not in Shell shell just doesn't do it for some reason yeah. so what I imagine for the UI first of all this table that of the instances first of all it could be uh, dynamically updated with you know with plus and minus whatever you have like to indicate what was added after you have like but the main part as these are objects and they have meta information behind them so when you click on it you can have plugins which can uh, act on that type of data or that type of object and provide you like for example for instance it would be like i don't know modify security groups or terminate or stop or whatever uh, and whenever you do this operation uh, this operation will actually be transformed into textual representation so you will have all the benefits of uh, text so it's in history you can copy paste send to a friend whatever you whatnot by the way history also should include all kinds of contexts uh, for example, well, time step is obvious, but actually it's the only one which is supported in Bash as so a metadata, the time step. How about environment variables? I don't know. Or any variables that were used on, on, the, on the command line. Okay. I, I, I want to know what they were at the time it happened. It's just insane. It's not there. Um, so, um, so the main thing is that uh, UI must be interactive. I uh, actually was... 
planning doing like some tiered approach when you have let's say uh, your terminal but also you can do it in your browser and if it's a browser you can display a richer um, content like uh, I don't know graphs maybe like when you monitor something let's say you do upgrade on the system you want to monitor you know requests per second or errors rate or what whatever um, yeah, so that's for UI actually uh, I have a page on the project wiki which is called UI design and on that page I have the dump of these ideas and I actually giving it for free to anybody because I would be glad if it would be implemented anywhere because right now not even the today's advanced shells do anything with, with objects on the screen and it's amazing to me how this is not happening I mean yeah you're right never <laughs> thought about that but now now that you are talking about that it's I, very I'm natural. wondering the same question <laughs> how yeah. nobody did that. that that's something is wrong with this <laughs> yes yeah you know that's our habit as developers we have this habit of having um black screen and nothing more and just uh, <laughs> yeah, th that brings me to some, some other point. It's my kind of uh, favorite pet peeve. Uh, I'll, I'll try to, to be short on that. Yeah. Uh, the shell is not supposed to do that argument. I actually pretty much hate it. <laughs> okay. And um, because I, for me, I think it's kind of abstract philosophy gets in the way of productivity. For example, I, do, I cannot imagine two programmers talking and one of them advocating you know what I use notepad you know why because text editing should be pure I only want to edit text all the other stuff should be uh, you know do my other tools okay so I want my text clean I don't want any anything on my text I don't like colors I I want pure text editing why not it for example I don't know so and another one is just using I don't know the other on the other um, on the other uh, side of the spectrum they use for example JetBrains ID and they get their job in like two minutes and the notepad guy working all day just because of the sake of philosophy of being pure or whatever no I don't want anything to get on my way to productivity and I think that shells with I don't know for example with data structures or same syntax or same error handling would be much more productive and I, I think that Shell is not supposed to do it. It's just not a valid argument. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get it. So, I get sorry. It. I, I, it was just on my on my heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. I can understand this, and I'm quite shocked because you know I I've never actually thought about that. Um, um, You're I, welcome. I now you have to you have something to you know to think about. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when, when when you go sleep at night and you. Oh, yeah, it's like, why don't, why don't I implement something on the shell, like an, an UI, you know? Or oh, maybe people watching this episode or listening to that episode will, uh, will reach out to you. And that brings me it's to fine. the last question. How can people contribute to your project? Uh, well, there are several ways. <laughs> First, <laughs> uh, they could use NGS. Uh, that's very important. Uh, from that, they could uh, get into maybe filing bugs. Uh, and since um, and since uh, most of the NGS code was contributed by me and with few contributions from other people, I think uh, more eyeballs on the project, uh, which will will be helpful. Uh, and I think that, for example, 
consistency in the language, like in naming of functions, of how the functions were. This is very hard to get right, because sometimes you get blind to that because you're all over it. And when new people come, they can point me to some inconsistencies in the language, uh, or like that some things work like not as expected. It's very important file bugs. And of course you can contribute in code and there were like very two different parts of the code, the C and and the NGS part. So if you have C skills, you are very welcome to c contribute to C part and NGS part. But if you don't know C, it's also fine. If you learn NGS, you can, which is not that difficult language, I think, you can contribute to the NGS part. Uh, that's also good. And of course, uh, uh, documentation is very um, important to work on. But the main and the best thing where I could get help because I think I really suck at it, that's marketing. Okay. Uh, to, to get the word out, uh, to tell friends, to try yourself, it's, it's all very important. And I, I want to help people, but you know, if nobody hears about the project, it will not help anyone. So, and as I was frustrated and I solving my frustration, I think that other people should also suffer less by using NGS instead of, let's say, Bash or Python. And that means that they need to know about the project. And I don't think I'm doing a good job. And, um, uh, and, I, and I think that uh, marketing and, you know, getting the word out, I think it's um, something where I need a lot of help. <laughs> Okay, okay. I think there will be a lot of people willing to help. I really wish you doing that. It's, you know, uh, being part myself of the open source community, uh, writing open source software, it, it is a real pleasure for me to see a committed person uh, writing code, an open source code, uh, which can help other people not being frustrated because of all the tools, old stuff, things that it's not working. Uh, as other, you know, modern languages are working today. So I, I want to thank you in first place for your efforts and your commitment to, to the language. Um, thank you so much personally. And I really hope people will reach out to you after watching this episode, uh, because I really feel like this is a game changer in the DevOps um, domain. Thank you. And, okay. Okay, and that was all for today. Thank you again, Ilya, for uh, getting in touch with me and having this episode. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, really hope to get in touch with you soon with uh, some great news about, you know, um, NGS itself. And I want to wish you a good rest of the day.